Wrong overlay, folks. We're uh, back. And uh, welcome to the uh, Whitfield Report Saturday uh, evening edition. Had to uh, take a call, which lasted uh, a bit longer than I thought. That's why we're starting an hour later, but we'll go an hour later tonight as well. So welcome to the uh, program. I want to thank you so very much for joining me here tonight, and uh, as always, it's great to be here. Uh, anyway, contact info if you would like to uh, reach out to me. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at smdmr underscore ndc, hashtag Whitfield Report, at Gab and Parlor, at Sam Whitfield. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report, thesamwhitfield.com. And as always, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcast, uh, please give us a five-star rating and review and subscribe on wherever else you're listening to your podcast from. Uh, great to be here, folks. Uh, quick shout-out to uh, Danger Zone Worldwide. I have a feeling I know what that's for. Uh, don't want to make any announcements, uh, you know... Yeah, but, uh, you know, we could be getting the band get back together, folks. Um, a storm of wrenches is in the chat. Uh, the coronavirus is back, and he says he's mutated and more powerful than ever. Um, Mike, the coronavirus wants to know what my mic is. It's a, uh, HyperX quadcast, uh... I, I, I love this microphone, folks. I, I really do. Um, a Storm of Wrenches is here. And uh, Blaze Dust Dreamer is here. Uh, she says, I actually got notified. And yeah, the microphone is for tax purposes. So it's, uh, you know, I wrote it off as a business e- expense. So no, it was actually a birthday gift uh that a friend of mine got for me who uh, listens to the show. So, uh, anyway, thank you all for uh, joining me. And uh, please share this stream if you are so inclined to on whatever uh, social media sites you can. And uh, let's get right down to it. Uh, I was going to do a, uh, a show on Thursday on Super Tuesday, but didn't get around to it. Uh, that's... That's the bummer about having classes on Thursdays is uh, now is the Thursday show is kind of hit or miss. But regardless, uh, I want to do to do some Super Tuesday stuff. Uh, And pretty much at this point, folks. Yeah, I know that Bernie is still in the race, but at this point, uh, well, our our good friend, the coronavirus here, uh, might as well, you know, be uh, 
be finishing off Bernie because uh, Bernie's campaign, he dead, basically. Um, and it's weird because I will admit when I'm wrong, and uh, I was I was wrong on this one, folks. I did not think that Joe Biden would make it this far. I I, I thought that he would have been wiped out. Uh, after the last debate, after the final Dem debate, because he did horribly, um, you know, at, of course, of course they all did, but, um, you know, as I played last weekend, um, you know, his, his victory speech in, uh, South Carolina, it's, uh, clear that his friend Jim Clyburn seemed to, uh, you know, kind of rib, kind of rig the thing for him. So, uh, you know, so Bernie is, for all intents and purposes, done, I think. Although, you know, maybe not. There, there, There's a slight chance that he could still win in whatever remaining primary races, but it's looking at this point, 90% like Biden is, is going to be the guy, so we're going with that title anyway. Uh, with that being said, the media is kind of freaking out. The drive-by media, they're still... It's funny, they were freaking out over, uh, you know, Bernie being the nominee, but now they're freaking out over the possibility that Biden is going to have to go up against Trump. Trump, and uh, for good reason. I actually pulled this clip just a few minutes ago. This was uh, brand new from TheHill.com and their YouTube channel. And uh, the title of this video is, Will Biden Defeat Biden? And I think it's actually uh, pretty, you know, like even even the, even the Democrat media can't deny that, uh, you know, Biden is, in his own, is his own worst enemy. So, uh... Let's take a listen to this, shall we? Clip number one, roll the tape. So, what should the Sanders and the Biden camps do now to shake up the race? We are back with Don Calloway, Democratic strategist, and Jonathan Easley, national political reporter for The Hill. All right, so we got a whole new ball game, right? That's right. Delegate count will be pretty competitive. But the landscape is very favorable for Joe Biden, especially, look, part of why the Sanders people are able to hold on is because they had a lot of early vote banked. The day of vote went strongly against them. That's the landscape. You add to that now the Bloomberg endorsement, things look pretty grim right. for Team Sanders. Yeah. However, on the other hand, Joe Biden is still Joe Biden. And sometimes he looks like this. Why, why attack Sanders? Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. I, I'm not sedentary. I don't like it up and go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on Let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take my pizza. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, 
Off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. And no, folks, that this is not bad, uh, you know, this is not bad lip reading. Unfortunately, I saw, I saw in the comments for this video, there were a couple people wondering, is this, uh, is this bad lip reading? No, this is not a bad lip reading parody, ladies and gentlemen. This is Biden at, at, his, at, his, at his best or worst. Well, no, actually, it's Biden just being Joe Biden. So, you know, it's car. It's par for the course, I guess. Again, to see why your wife left you. And he cut off a six foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain and you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. If you agree with me, go to Joe three oh three three oh and help me in this fight thank you very much so jonathan that is the man that the establishment has now thrown all in behind right not only to win okay so i don't think we need uh you know i don't think we need to to uh watch this entire uh you know uh panel here but they're all libs on that panel, and they all look extremely nervous. You saw that one guy give the, give the, uh, you know, nervous uh, chuckle, so to speak. Now, listen, here's the thing. Biden is a gaffe machine. We all know that. We all know that he's, you know, your crazy uncle, and... Uh, you know, that he sniffs hair and, I mean, says crazy shit. And in fact, like, I, I by the way, folks, I'm also now on uh, TikTok, by the way. And uh, that's that's because a couple people actually told me to get on to uh, TikTok, which for those of you who don't know, TikTok is like one of those uh, Vine things. It kind of replaces Vine. You can make like uh, 60 second like videos and post them anyway there are actually lots of conservatives on there and so I just made one and so my first uh, TikTok was essentially like saying something like the Democrats called uh, you know Trump a loudmouth who says stupid shit so they uh, picked a guy who's a loudmouth and said stupid shit to be him great going guys like that was the premise of my uh, video but uh, anyway, and it's true, for all their complaining about, about, oh, Trump being a loudmouth and, uh, you know, uh, he says, you know, inappropriate things, they picked uh, Joe Biden, who is, who is just as bad, uh, or if not worse, I mean, you know, Trump may have said grab him by the pussy, but... Uh, you know, that was like in a 2004 interview and, you know, that was off mic. Biden, uh, you know, goes up on camera and sniffs women's hair. 
he made out with his he, he I'm not sure if he made out, but he he long kissed his uh, own granddaughter uh at a rally a few weeks ago. Uh and it you know, it didn't look like the traditional uh, you know, grandfather, granddaughter, you know, relationship type kiss, or at least the appropriate one, I would say. And so the Dems are now betting on, you know, on uh, one crazy man, uh, Biden, to defeat the guy who they allege is crazy, right? Trump. And uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to work out for them too well, but... Um, just because Biden is the nominee, do not think that this is going to be an easy race, ladies and gentlemen, for Trump. Don't think that Trump already has this in the bag and that this is going to be be an you know an easy race because it's not. Uh, in fact, I predict. I don't know how the Dems are going to do it. But they're going to do their best to try and resurrect the Russia thing again. Say, well, Sam, they've already done it twice and it's already failed twice. Why would they, why would they do it again? Uh, well, folks, because third time is a charm. And that is pretty much the only card they have to, left to play. And they're they're going to jam the narrative down people's throats, and uh, you know, I know that this audience is smart enough not to fall for, you know, all of the bullshit with the Russian narrative, and I know that a lot of people who are in the circles that I run in are are smart enough, and I know that there are a lot of like, I know that there are a lot of smart people out there, but there are also a lot of dumb people out there who will continue to, uh, you know, watch the news and feed into this narrative. And and so you watch. The Dems will try and resurrect this, as stupid as it may be, and they're going to try and, uh, you know, make it stick one last time. Uh, Can Trump... uh, you know, beat Biden, absolutely. But that means that we all need to show up on election day still. You know, none of us, there can't be any hagglers this go around on, on the uh, race. And, uh, you know, we, we can't be staying home because we think that, you know, Trump has it in the bag. This ain't one of those, uh, you know, election cycles. The, the, the Dems... Uh, stayed home in 2016 because they they were over they were overconfident that Hillary was going to win the election. They thought that you know Hillary had it in the bag, and that there was no way that this uh, you know this orange buffoon in their minds you know there was no way that this reality TV star uh, could possibly beat Hillary Clinton. They're a messiah. And, uh, you know, I, um, you know, obviously we saw how that played out. 
uh, Hillary lost big time, and it ended up making it about about Russia. If anything, the reality of the matter is twenty. The reality of the matter is that twenty sixteen wasn't so much about Trump winning. It was about the fact that America hates Hillary Clinton so much that we elected a a literal uh, reality TV star to, uh, you know, become president over her. That's how hated she was. And, of course, they cried, uh, you know, sexism and bigotry. Speaking of, by the way, uh, I have a story here from... The uh, from the New York Post, not the New York Times, ladies and gentlemen, but the uh, New York Post, because apparently uh, Elizabeth Warren, Focahontas, uh, is uh, complaining now that uh, you know she's been rejected and she's claiming. Sexism, right? This gets even better, though, uh, folks, because not only did she get rejected by a lot of women voters, but headline from the New York Post. Let me pull this up here. Uh, If I can find my viewer. Let's see. Ah. Um. Oh, yeah. Okay, headline from the New York Post, Elizabeth Warren rejected by Native American voters on Super Tuesday. Um, whoops. Uh, oh, you guys are seeing the YouTube window. Let me, let me fix that, folks. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All Um, uh, All right. Elizabeth Warren rejected by Native American voters on Super Tuesday. That's the headline from the New York Post. Among the most notable voters who abandoned Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren on Super Tuesday were Native Americans. Warren spent decades claiming she was part Cherokee and part Delaware even taking a disastrous DNA test to try and prove it. She was ultimately forced to apologize and admit the claim was bogus, as President Trump mocked her as uh, Pocahontas. I think that her claim and digging in her heels in the DNA test did hurt her. Simon Moya Smith, a 36-year-old Native American activist, told The Post. That's why I voted for Bernie on Super Tuesday, and I didn't vote for her. A look at how counties with high Native American populations voted suggest Warren's past pretensions took a toll. Uh, Oklahoma, the Super Tuesday state with the largest population of American Indian voters, won strongly for Joe Biden giving him 38.7% of the vote. Bernie Sanders was second with 25.4%, while Michael Bloomberg took third with 13.9%. Warren came in fourth with 13.4%. 
by the way, folks, 13.4%, that is still hot. That is still higher, ladies and gentlemen. She still scored higher in the polls than she did on her Native American ancestry test. I do want to point that right there, folks. She still scored higher in the primary than she scored on her Native American ancestry test. But it was worse for her in counties with large Native American populations. In in Osage County, home to the Osage Indian Reservation, Warren took 10% of the vote. Cherokee County, home of Warren's quote-unquote brother in Cherokee Nation, she garnered just 10.3% of the vote. A similar story played out in Utah, where Warren once... Again, plays a dismal fourth with 15.5. But in the state San Juan County, where 50% of the population is Native American, according to the U.S. Census, Warren took just 8% of the vote. Uh, There was a level of distrust, Moya Smith said. She didn't address Indian country, directly or Native problems, until she wanted to be president. It was just extremely disingenuous on its face. Alright, so so that is the reality of what happened uh, you know, with her uh, you know, with her campaign. She lost. She lost bigly. And and what, what was bad for her, ladies and gentlemen, was no one in the Democrat Party uh, you know, called her out on the whole Native American, uh, you know, bogus claim. No one confronted her on it at all. Um, so, you know, she didn't address that. No one brought it up. She should have. She should have maybe brought brought it up because if she had, um, if she had addressed it and said, like, yeah, maybe I messed up or something like that, she might still be in the race. But no, that's not what she did at all. She doubled down and dug her heels in. And, uh, you know, that didn't pan out for her at all. Well, now she's also claiming that uh, sexism was the reason why she lost the race. Uh, Tucker Carlson actually had a pretty good segment on uh, that, as you will see here in a sec, because we have the clip for that, too. Uh, And I will play this, but I'm going to break it down a bit. So here is uh, here's Tucker Carlson's uh, uh, segment on Warren's sexism claim. Clip number two. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Things are moving fast in American politics, but see if you can remember back five months to last fall. At the time, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts was the most likely Democratic nominee. She had big leads in both Iowa and New Hampshire. She'd overtaken establishment-designated frontrunner Joe Biden in the national polling. The race last fall was Warren's to lose, and lose it she did spectacularly. Warren didn't win a single state. In fact, she never took second. She got creamed in Massachusetts, where she lives. Today, finally, Warren dropped out, having succeeded only in humiliating herself. 
As the Babylon Bee put it, quote, Warren returns to tribe in shame after failing to take land back from the palefaces. You can imagine how disappointed the Cherokees were. So what happened to Elizabeth Warren? Well, it's an interesting story, actually, filled with valuable lessons for political candidates as well as for the rest of us. But Warren was in no mood for learning today. She already knew the answer, as she so often does. And it turned out to be the very same answer she's offered in response to virtually every question she's been asked over the last six months. It was sexism. That's why she lost. Democratic voters, the majority of whom are female, hate women, Warren explained. They may have nominated a woman in the last presidential race, but that was probably an act of sexism, too. That's how sexist they are. Super duper sexist. If you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says, whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? Um, I promise you this, I'll have a lot more to say on that subject later on. Real quick, I do want to jump in here and say that th this is the woman who had a beer summit who had a quote-unquote beer summit in her kitchen, uh, you know, on Instagram Live. You know, I can't remember whether it was Instagram Live or Periscope. Regardless, it was one of those two. And she can't even drink beer properly. You know, this this is the one who, you know, who very robotically had to get a beer out of the fridge and was like, hmm, I'm going to have a beer because that's what young people like. Elizabeth Warren is just very unlikable. She's, you know, she's very screechy. She doesn't have a strong, you know, commanding presence at all. She has no evidence to put forward that sexism was, you know, the cause of her defeat. She just says, yeah, sexism is obviously why, why lost here. And so, uh, you know, that was basically what what happened here. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Lizzie, great going. Your, pers your personality is why you lost. You're unlikable, just like Hillary. That's a promise, she said. In other words, there will be many more lectures on sexism to come from Professor Warren. Buy your tickets now. The hall is certain to be packed. In the front row, you'll see your favorite cable news commentators who are themselves lifelong warriors against sexism. Yes, it is true that these are the very same people who have spent months now acting as publicists for Michael Bloomberg and now Joe Biden, both of whom are demonstrably male. But in their hearts, our friends on TV were always rooting for the woman. That's the kind of people they are, highly unsexist people. Our country is still very uncomfortable with women in power. Men come into a race with the expectation that they're qualified. Women have to prove themselves. When a woman takes a hit at particularly a male candidate, she, she takes a hit in her likability. Senator Warren was hammered on her Medicare for All plan yes. and her tax plans in a way that none of the men were exactly right. the entire last year. To me, that was a sexist double standard. She would have done much better um, if she were a man. And I would like more, more men to be vocal about the fact that they want to see women in positions of leadership. 
Yeah, well, folks, do you remember, do you remember when Sarah Palin uh, ran as John McCain's VP in 08? Do you guys remember when she ran in 2012? Do you guys remember uh, Carly Fiorina in 2016? Those are all women candidates that were running. The difference was they had an R next to their name. And there were plenty of men willing to vote for, uh, you know, them. So, you know, it's not like we haven't had, had female candidates before. We just didn't want, you know, we didn't want Hillary and we didn't want, you know, this delusional woman, Elizabeth Warren. That is simply the case. It, it has nothing to do with, you know, gender or sex whatsoever. Yeah, sexism. So you can see why Elizabeth Warren is so upset tonight. To be fair, Bernie Sanders did warn her more than a year ago that a woman couldn't win. He didn't want her to get hurt, but she just wouldn't listen. Just kidding. That never happened. Warren made it up. Or maybe she believed it happened, which is worse. Warren has convinced herself of a lot of strange things recently. It's been poignant to watch it happen. Warren is no Beto O'Rourke. She isn't doing bong hits on her skateboard after lunch. She's a legitimately smart person, without question the smartest candidate in the Democratic field. She's also tough as hell, and fake Indian affirmative action employee aside, she's fairly accomplished, especially by the low standards of political life. Nearly 20 years ago, Warren wrote a book called The Two Income Trap about how the mass entry of mothers into the workforce left families poorer. It was not a predictable academic diatribe that ends with a call for socialism. In fact, it was interesting and well-researched, and above all, it was serious. Warren wrote about a real problem, one that affects most Americans, and then thought deeply about how to solve it. The book was impressive. It could have been the basis of a populist presidential campaign that would have forced much-needed national conversations about these issues, and in the end might have won. But none of that ever happened. Warren got derailed. More precisely, she became infected with the virulent strain of identity politics. By the end, like tertiary syphilis, it drove her insane. One day, Warren was talking about raising wages and protecting American workers. The next, she was ranting about strange forms of racism nobody had ever heard of, and then attacking the country she has once sought to improve. Elizabeth Warren went intersectional, and it killed her. Here were some of the first symptoms. We live in a country now where the president is advancing environmental racism, economic racism, criminal justice racism, health care racism. So raise your hand if you ever heard of healthcare racism. Raise both hands if you think it's one of this country's top 500 problems. Elizabeth Warren thought it was. Then she decided it was important, in fact, our moral obligation, to invite the rest of the impoverished world here to America to share our job market and our healthcare system. How exactly would that help American workers? Warren no longer cared. She was too woke to worry about actual people. By earlier this year, she clearly needed inpatient care. You watched her speeches hoping that men with nets would spring from the shadows to carry her off to a secure facility somewhere for a much-needed rest. Unfortunately, it never happened. The mania seemed to reach its peak in January when Warden suddenly announced out of nowhere that she would ask transgendered children to pick her cabinet members. 
I'm going to have a Secretary of Education that this young trans person interviews on my behalf. And only if this person believes that our Secretary or Secretary of Education nominee is someone who is committed to creating a welcoming environment, a safe environment, and a full educational curriculum for everyone, will that person actually be advanced to be Secretary of Education? Yeah, and that's another reason, Lizzie, why you didn't, you know, get very far, far in this way. This whole, this trans shit and everything else is, people aren't, people are not ready for, you know, that. And, you know, like or not, libs, you know, trans people are, are Trans people are less than one percent of the population. To say, to say that they're less than one percent of the population is, that's not even true because they're less than less than one percent of the population. It doesn't, it doesn't even register how low they are on the totem pole in terms of that. And yet, you know, Elizabeth Warren keeps pushing this, you know, cr all these crazy narratives. Oh, I'm a Native American. Oh, you know, mothers aren't aren't allowed to return to work. It's and now this uh, you know this transgender secretary of education. Yeah, Lizzie, it's bec you didn't win because of sexism. No, it's because of shit like this why you didn't win. Uh, you know, plain and simple. So. So who is this young trans person who gets to staff the federal government? No one in the news media even asked, because it turns out Warren wasn't the only one who'd gone insane. All of this seemed perfectly normal to CNN, but it wasn't normal. It was shockingly crazy, almost hilariously crazy. But Warren was not amused. Most of the time, she appeared to be floridly enraged, like she might lunge forward and bite someone. For reasons that were never really clear, Warren really hated Bernie Sanders, the elderly ex-mayor from Vermont. At one point, Warren claimed that Sanders was, in fact, a dangerous sexist. But nobody believed her. It was just too implausible, whatever else he is. So she turned her wrath on Michael Bloomberg, a far richer target. I'd like to talk about who we're running against, a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> Democrats are not going to... Oh, this was actually one of my favorite parts to watch in the, in the debate. Uh, it, uh... You know, th this was... This was fun to watch. The, the the smackdown between Bloomberg and Warren was priceless. This was one of the key moments in the uh you know, in that final debate that was funny. And the, the hilarious thing was both of them ended up getting taken out because of this little uh, you know uh you know, showdown between them. It didn't help either of them. And it was it was lovely to see them both fall because of this.
win. If we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies, Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. Got to give her credit. She could deliver a line. But by this stage in the campaign, no one outside cable news sets and college campuses was listening. Elizabeth Warren kept talking, but nobody cared. Why? Because it turns out that most people, even Democrats, aren't that interested in intersectional politics. They don't know how to pronounce the word Latinx, and they don't want to learn. It's stupid and weird and kind of threatening. It is precisely zero relevance to their lives. They want to hear politicians talk about making the schools better or lowering health insurance premiums, the things they actually think about at home. They don't want to hear some middle-aged lady drone on in an extended guilt trip, because in the end, it's really all about her. Identity politics is always just a form of narcissism. That's not appealing to anybody. You can't get elected doing it. Elizabeth Warren just proved that conclusively. Let's hope everyone else in politics learns that lesson. Yep, and that's why the uh, and that's why the left keeps uh, you know losing. Listen, this identity politics thing is not going to uh, you know last forever on the left. It, it's just it's just not. Um, you know the 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 left cannot continue to sustain themselves by going farther and farther. With this, uh, you know, intersectional stuff, it's just not going to work out for them what whatsoever. They, uh, you know, they focus in on these minute issues and then complain that they can't, you know, win and that they're losing ground. Well, they're losing. Well, the Dems are losing ground because. Uh, you know, no one cares about transgender bathrooms at the end of the day. No, no one, no one cares about you know pronouns or uh, you know intersectional uh, relations or the Green New Deal. What people want are jobs. They want, you know, they want a good economy. They want. You know, affordable health care, not, not necessarily saying the government has to provide it, but, and they want reasonable taxes. That, that's pretty much all people, people want from the government. They don't want, you know, this, uh, you know, they don't want this endless uh, level of coddling and, uh, you know, messing about from the government. That's simply not how things work. Uh, okay, now on uh, President Trump's side, President Trump uh, participated in a uh, town hall the other night uh, on Thursday night, I believe, on the Fox News channel, and uh, I actually got a request from some people to kind of review this. I... Uh, Obviously, I'm not going to watch the whole thing, but I uh, I did watch the whole thing uh, before the show started. But I do want to play this final segment because I think it is kind of pertinent to what we're 
talking out with the election, and, uh, yeah, so, um, anyway, clip number three, go. Ah, here we go. You talked uh, this week to the leader of the Taliban. I did. And you said it was a good conversation in which you said you both didn't want violence. However, on that same day, the Taliban launched some 50 attacks in Afghanistan, 40 of them in one province. Uh, there are many Americans really wondering, and the U.S. struck back against the Taliban. There are many very, Americans very powerful. wondering yeah. where the peace part of the peace plan is, and can you trust the Taliban? So these are warriors. Uh, we've been there for uh, 20 years. We're really serving more as a law enforcement group than a military group. We could win that war very easily, but I don't feel like killing millions of people in order to do it. We don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. People are tired. Even the biggest hawks are tired of being there. I had a very good conversation with him. There was a group that formed. And again, you know, they have many tribes and they have many different. It's hard for one. There's not like perfectly one control. I spoke to a certain man who was the leader, but the leader has not, it's not the easiest leadership position. Structure. And the structure is, you know, tribes all over the place. Uh, a tribe formed and a, a group formed that was going to attack certain soldiers, Afghan soldiers, and the military heard about it, and the military went and they took them out. That was it. Uh, I believe they really want to make a deal. I think after 19, actually going very close to 20 years, they're also tired of fighting, believe it or not. But they are warriors and they are fighters, and that's what they've done for a thousand years. You know, just ask, ask the Soviet Union, which became Russia, because of Afghanistan. You know, so it's a tough that, place. Uh, you have said that you want to, you know, end this. It's yeah. gone on for a long time. But what about the conditions on the ground? Because, you know, General Mattis had a disagreement with you about pulling troops out of Syria and Afghanistan. If your well, generals right. tell you... I was so right. If the generals say to you, Mr. President, we need more people, not fewer people right now, what will you do? Well, Mattis said that, and I gave more people for a short period of time, and it didn't work out. And but what now we were doing is policing on Afghanistan. As far as Syria, I did pull them out. I pulled them out. We were, we were securing the border between Turkey and Syria. I said, why are we doing that? Turkey's big, Syria's fine. Let them fight their own battles. What are we doing with our soldiers? Getting people killed to secure... Now, the one thing, when I came in, ISIS was all over Syria, all over Iraq, and we don't want them coming to us, and it was a mess. You understand that very well. And I knocked out 100% of the, of the uh, territorial caliphate. 100%. We knocked the whole thing out. But what about Afghanistan? No, but, but just so you understand. So we knocked out the ISIS caliphate in vast amounts of the Middle East. And I did that fairly quickly. When I came, again, President Obama, it was all over the place. When I say we're not doing the borders, we did leave soldiers. We left soldiers because I kept the oil. And I was always against Iraq, going into Iraq. I think it was one of the worst, maybe the worst decision ever made. But I used to say, once they were in there, keep the oil. They never kept the oil. We have an oil area in near Syria and in Syria. We kept it. So the only soldiers I have over there, 
They're guarding the oil. We kept the oil, so we kept the treasure. That's okay. But if, if it they takes said, more troops to keep the Taliban from taking over Afghanistan, is that something you would be willing to do well, or no? Well, you know, there's a big question about the government of Afghanistan. There's a big question about that whole situation in Afghanistan. We're getting along very well with everybody. We have to get our people back home. It's not fair. We're a police force over there. We're maintaining things. Eventually, we have to leave. We don't want to stay there for another 20 years. We don't want to stay there for 100 years. We want our people to come back home. All right. Um... Which I do have to ask this, though. Is that even possible with today's Middle East? Because... As and look, I'm not saying that we should be there. I, I agree that we should leave. But the Middle East, at least from what I've, you know, read on it in my probably 15 years of, uh, you know, doing political, of, uh, you know, researching politics and doing political comment. Well, it's, it's not, I haven't been doing the show for 15 years, but I've been, I've been studying politics for 15 years. The Middle East is a, uh, is like a revolving, uh, hotbed of just, you know, chaos. So if we're not, if we're not there, um, you know, it, it's just going to end falling back into chaos. I'm sad to say. Lynette has our next question from the audience about uh, division, really, in politics. Lynette? Oh, Where are sorry. You? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Hi, Lynette. Hi, President Trump. I'm so happy to... Uh, real quick, too. I, I, I do want to... Uh, I, I, I'm just checking the chat here. Um, yeah. But, Blaze, all, all, I'm, all I'm saying is, if, if, you, don't, if you don't want to vote... That's you're right not to. I'm just saying that if you're a Republican, right? I don't think it's a good idea to sit the to sit the election out. Um, now, personally, I I do think that civic-minded people uh, should vote. I I do think that things, um, you know change on the local level if you vote and uh ooh I just uh oh I got an eyelash in my uh eye but I got it out so um yeah I mean if if you don't want to vote that's your business but I I think that voting can be effective um certainly in the case and is Trump perfect? No, I'm not saying that either. But I think he's a hell of a lot better than Hillary. And, uh, you know, I certainly, to say that he's farther left than left, I certainly don't see the evidence for that, you know, whatsoever. But, uh, you know, at any rate, um, you know, that's how I see things, so... Have you here? Thank you. From the day you came down the escalator in Trump Towers, I was on the Trump train. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I, knew. <laughs> I like you too. <laughs> and I, I proudly you. wear my Trump pin every day of my Thank life. Thank you. So Great honor. The question is, we are so divided as a country. 
I have family members who do not speak to me and recently was told, if you support Trump, you are no longer part of my life. How are you going to bring us together? So now hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, oh, I understand the question, but that's not the president. That's not necessarily the president's job, necessarily. Um, yeah, well, I mean, look, as far yeah, the, the coronavirus, as far as you know, Trump goes. I, I will say as far as presidents go, Trump is easily the best president of my lifetime. Certainly the only one who I can, who maybe, well, obviously I would think that Wash, that Washington being the founder, the founder, and being the first president, like he, he was probably the best out of all of them, Right. But that's going back as far back as like recent history. I would say probably Trump, and then I shit. I would say Reagan too, if you want to know my opinion. But yeah, uh, a storm is right too. No one is perfect. So um, as far as this unity question goes, I'm not really sure that that's you know something that the president needs to uh, you know address like on a policy level. I'm not really sure that he can. But let's see where this leads. Right. I gave an answer before success, but it's really a little bit more than that, because we've had great success and there is a division. There's no question about it. Uh, politicians have to be able to be civil. If they're not, you have to fight back. You have to. Otherwise, we're not going to be. There's a there's a movement on and I call them the radical left Democrats. And it really is the radical left because we have plenty of Democrats that are terrific and they want to see, you know, let's get together. Let's get things done. There's so many things we could do. We've done a lot. We've and let me tell you something about about those moderate Democrats, too. A, a lot of them, I have them on my college campus. And I'm not going to name names, but I've convinced a few of them to vote for Trump because as I just said a few min minutes ago when playing the Warren clip, the left has gone absolutely nuts and batshit insane with this whole, you know, uh, third wave, you know, intersectional feminism and transgender, you know, everything. And uh, just basically the, the, the far left has gone total communist. And I think even a lot of like moderate Democrats are starting to, to get sick of it, and they're starting to come over. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad to do my part, uh, you know, to do that. I think this this program, the Whitfield Report, has been effective in doing that. And um, I think that, you know, what, what Trump is talking about with unity, that, that's certainly part of it. So uh, continuing on. And more than any administration in three years in the history of our country for the first three years. And I say it all the time, and the press doesn't even dispute me, and they would do that. But we could do even so much more. We talked about a great question on the border, and the border question's true, but we should get rid of the loopholes. You can't do that without Democrat votes. I really believe we're going to win this next election, and when we do, the other side's going to say, okay, that's it, let's get along. I really believe that, but we have to win the election. Great question.
All right, uh, Mr. President, we're going to do a, a quick lightning round here. Short questions, short answers, ideally. Um, uh, this one goes back to coronavirus in the beginning. Uh, you are a self-proclaimed germaphobe. Uh, in the campaign, before the campaign, you didn't like to shake hands. Uh, you changed that. Uh, what did doctors... Well, I'm not thrilled. Yeah, yeah, you're not thrilled. <laughs> what did doctors tell you? Have you changed anything in the way that you operate? So, yeah, it's a great question, because I've always felt, you know, I don't know, from the time I was a young guy, I, you know, I've always felt the concept wasn't good. Then you'd read a lot of medical reports, it's not good now, especially they're saying, by the way, if there was ever a time that you could convince people not to shake hands, this could be it. Okay, this could be so it. Do an elbow but you know what I did? You know what I did? Uh, I really, I love the people of this country. You can't be a politician and shake hands. People come out, when I leave, I'll be shaking hands with people. They want to shake your hand. They want to say hello. They want to hug you. They want to kiss you. I don't care. It doesn't mean you have to do that. If I went around, no, I don't shake hands. Can you imagine I'm going to be with a group of people and they like Trump and they come up, sir, thank you very much. I don't shake hands. <laughs> it's over. I don't care how nicely you say it. The bottom line is, I shake anybody's hand now. I'm proud of it. They're people that I love. They're people that I want to take care of. Now, the concept of shaking hands since this, you know, you're hearing a lot of stuff about trying not to shake hands. It hasn't stopped me at all. But it is, it is a little bit of a problem. You said you had but to I got face over it. two weeks. Well, I was kidding. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to, I heard the other day you're not supposed to touch your face, so I went on camera and I said, listen, I haven't touched my face in weeks. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. I said, and I miss my face. And one of the networks said, he said he didn't touch his face, and they show pictures of me there. So, so I don't know. These have, people. You have said, you know, about being president, I didn't have to do this, you wanted to do it. Um, what about your old life? Is there any little thing that you miss about your old life? I loved my old life. The day before I announced I was running for president, that was the best period ever in my life. My company was the strongest it ever was, especially, you know, being in development and real estate all over the world. I built a great company, but it was the strongest because you have times when the markets go bad and then you have to fight and then the markets are good and you're doing great. It was the strongest period of my life. It was sort of the best period of my entire life. And then I announced I was going to run for president. And, uh, you know, the greatest day of your life, they say, is the day before you announce you're running for president. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that, but they do say that about people. But in my case, I won. You know, I won. I saw as an example, uh, they were using numbers and they were saying how much various people spent to become president. And Bloomberg spent like 550 million. It was in, of all places, the New York Times. And this guy, Steyer, we call him Impeachment Tom. How did that work out? Not too good. Tom Steyer spent $250 million. Another one, another one, another. Steve Forbes spent a lot. A lot of people spent a lot of money. And I was sort of in the middle of the pack. This is your own money. I spent $70 million. And they said, lost, 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 lost. Donald Trump became president of the United States. Lost, lost. And I said, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You know. So... I love it. You know why I love it? Because we are doing more than anybody can imagine. Uh, even Right to Try. For years, they wanted to have Right to Try, where we can use our medicines yeah. if somebody is terminally ill. So many things we're but doing. But is there any little thing so that you miss? I'm... You know, I mean, I remember uh, Michelle Obama said she missed, you know, sort of going shopping or walking down the aisles. I mean, is there anything that you can't do now that well, you, you... Yeah, I mean, I can't walk down the street now before I could. I was well-known. We had a very successful business, and even my show turned out to be successful. I had many top to bestsellers and things, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, but I could walk down the street, and I could actually walk into a store 
And it was, you know, fine. It was not like some, nobody knew me, but it, now, today, if I ever suggested that the Secret Service, you know, I think I'm gonna walk down Pennsylvania Avenue <laughs> and let's go shopping. So it's a lot different. So, so I, I do miss that. I miss that sort of free life. This is not a free life. But I love what we're doing because we're accomplishing more than anybody's ever. I'm viewing it as we're saving this country. This country was going wrong. Mr. President, very last question. Who, who is your closest friend in Washington? Well, I don't want to say because I have a lot of close friends. I really do. You know, You're I'll put closest. everybody in the spot. I get along great with our vice president. I keep hearing I'm replacing him. He's doing a phenomenal job. He's a great guy and a loyal guy, and he works so hard. Every day I read, he's going to put this one, he's going to put that one, he's going to put... If I did, that would be a great act of disloyalty because he's been great. I speak to him a lot. But I speak to all of the senators a lot. I speak to all of the congressmen a lot. We have great people in Washington, and you have great Democrats, too. I mean, I speak to Democrats also, believe it or not. But we have great, great people in Washington, very smart people in Washington, and it's going to come together. It's going to come together, and it's going to be sooner than you think. President All righty there. So I know that clip I played a little long, but uh, I actually wanted, I actually had to download a few uh, videos I was trying to download early, earlier to queue them up, and uh, those are downloaded now. So I, I wanted to play that because, uh, believe it or not, there were actually a lot of Democrat op opinion uh, columnists out there who, 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 you know, didn't think that Trump would do well on that, uh, you know, spot particularly, you know, when, when, uh, answering tough questions about the Middle East. And, you know, look, the, the Middle East, as I just said, is a complex, uh, you know, problem. And, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not sure we can leave it. But Trump did well on that town hall uh, thing. Now, granted, Fox News is a bit more conservative, so, you know, that there is that. I, I would be curious how Trump would you know, perhaps do in like a CNN town hall as much as, you know, I dislike CNN. I, I would be curious how Trump would do in uh, enemy territory, quote unquote. But that uh, that went pretty well, actually, I, I would say. So, you know, Trump still got it. He's very optimistic. And I think that this is shaping up good for uh, 2016. So, yeah. Uh, coronavirus in the chat says, uh, if Trump shot someone in, in Fifth Avenue, I'd certainly be on his side. Why? Because he's, uh, litigious and careful. Uh, I trust that guy's judgment. Oh, oh yeah, coronavirus, you're, you're going back to the, uh, you're going back to the, uh, if I shot someone in Fifth Avenue... I could get away with it. That's an old, uh, that, that is an old, good, well, not old, that was only four years ago, but, but that is a classic, uh, you know, Trump moment. One of my faves, for sure. Uh, I might have to pull that one up for a future show. Who knows? So... 
Um, yeah. Well, no, I corona uh, coronavirus was making was making reference to a uh, to a joke that Trump made that if where Trump said if I shot someone on Fifth Avenue, people would still vote for me, and it's. I mean, at least Trump's honest about it. He's not trying to suicide people like, uh, like Hillary is. But, uh, anyway, uh, since I didn't do, uh, Thursday's pop culture and, uh, entertainment show, I do want to, uh, I do want to do a little quick segment on that for you guys, uh, starting off with, uh, you know, uh, oof, uh, didn't mean to click that, um, ah, here we are, uh, so, I kind of want to start off like a new segment, uh, mainly on, this is going to be on Thursday show, but, uh, Interesting stuff I found on the web this week. This will kind of be like my equivalent of things that I, that I like. Um, so, uh, I, so someone uh, sent me this pretty funny clip of uh, from the Adam Carolla podcast where uh, Adam's co-host, uh, Gina Grad, who's his producer as well, did a pretty spot-on impression of... Uh, of uh, Nancy Grace, the the judge, uh, on HLN, and uh, I believe that this was their bit about improv, but I'm not sure. And uh, this bit cracked me up uh, when I heard it this week on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I think it's worth sharing. And then I'll, and then I'll have a brief, uh, you know, movie review slash recommendation. Uh, this week it's actually going to be a documentary for you folks, which I really do. But uh, I think you guys like this. So first clip coming up, uh, you know, Adam Carolla, uh, you know, interviews Nancy Grace, quote unquote. Uh, Nancy Grace. Yes. What if we were, uh, what if I was your groundlings teacher and I was trying to teach you the basics of improvisational comedy? I'd love it, Adam. I'd love it. All right. Well, uh, I'll just, uh, we'll, we'll get a relationship. Let's get uh married couple. I'll be the husband. Okay. And, uh, you, uh, you enter the bedroom. Okay. Okay. And, um, well, yeah. Let's just stop down for a second, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Adam, uh, or Mr. Carolla, since yeah. you are a teacher. At the Groundlings, yes. Right. Um, 31 years, by the way. Very good. Uh, mm-hmm. Congratulations mm. on your success. Mm. Uh, why would you decide for our uh, first improv scene together, our first mm. improvisational scene, uh, that we have some sort of an intimate uh, relationship? Uh, husband, wife. I just, they you say don't pick know a relationship. Me. 
you know. Out of all the relationships under the sun, there's a there's there's client attorney. Uh-huh. There's there's predator prey. <laughs> right. There's a true crime novelist, uh-huh. true crime subject, uh-huh. and yet you immediately take. Me into uh-huh. your bedroom. Okay. Well, maybe I was okay. Why don't I tell you what? Why don't we just be husband and wife will be in a jacuzzi? Hold on, Adam. I don't think you're quite getting my point. You just went from something where I would have a full house coat on yeah. to something akin to a one piece. Uh huh. Oh, maybe yeah, yeah, a two yeah. piece. No, I, I see it more as a one piece, but. Um, okay, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Sauna? Look, uh, I'm sex here to dungeon. learn. Excuse me. I, I'm open. I'm here to learn the craft of improv. The thing about this, too, is I actually know someone who uh, met Nancy Grace a long time ago, and this bit is uh, extremely accurate as to how she would actually be. So uh, I will link this bit in the uh, show notes for those of you guys who are interested. But uh, pretty great to hear from Adam Carolla. Uh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, a uh, quick movie review and, uh, you know, uh, actually this week's is also a, a documentary. I thought I had the uh, link pulled up here, but evidently I don't, so let me pull up... Uh, IMDb real quick, but uh, let's see. And uh, yeah, folks, like I said, uh, sorry I've started the show so late, but um, that's just how things go sometimes. I was actually on the phone with my uh, dad, and we were actually uh, talking about this film. So... Pull this up. Okay. Uh, so for those of you who may or may not know, ladies and gentlemen, I am a huge fan of the, uh, you know, new wave slash punk rock trio known as The Police. Um, you know, obviously that's the band where Sting was made famous, but The Police is probably like number two, uh, you know, on my favorite on my favorite band list. Number one, of course, being The, the Who, for those of you who, you know, know me well. A little inside baseball. Um, at any rate, Stuart Copeland, the uh, drummer of the police, uh, made this documentary actually probably 10 years ago now uh, called Everyone Stares the Police Inside Out. Um, And for those of you who are curious, let me pull this up here. So here's the information on uh, IMDb. Uh, It just got re-released. Here, actually, in 2019, uh, it's got 7.2 out of 10 stars on uh, IMDb. Uh, I th- I think it's very well done. Uh, what, what's unique about this documentary is uh, Stuart Copeland actually takes 
footage that he shot with a uh, eight millimeter camera back in the seventies and actually uh, you know put this film together in Final Cut Pro, which is uh, something that I've been playing around with for the last uh, a couple months ever since I got this new uh, Mac book of mine and. Um, yeah, he does a great job of illustrating the band's history, and uh, I really enjoyed this uh, documentary. Actually, I'm not done watching it yet. I was uh, watching it earlier this evening, have had the chance to finish it, but so far, uh, I really enjoy it. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, uh here is the trailer for everyone stares the police inside out. And uh, this will be a real short one, folks. And then we'll get out of here. Uh, clip number one, or no, clip number five. The hottest band in the world. The police. Police. The police. In the winter of 1978, I got this movie camera. Police are being hailed as the world's most popular band. I blame the man holding his camera for all my problems. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's... Uh, you know, so that's a... It's actually a pretty good documentary if you guys get the chance. So... Alright, folks. And uh, that'll do the... Uh, sh that'll do it for tonight, folks. Uh, I don't have a lot more to cover. We will continue to, uh, you know, take a look at what is going on in the primaries and alert you to what is going on. Uh, you know, in the meantime, folks, uh, you know, God bless, God save this great nation, and, uh, thanks for tuning into the Whitfield Report. Uh, whatever you folks do, do not drink the turpentine, folks. It's not, uh, it's not drinkable, folks. Nah, for, forget everything that, you know, certain collators have said. It's not, it's not worth that at, at all, folks. So, uh, yep. Uh, anyway, folks, from all of us here at NGC Studios, have a good night. God bless. And uh, God save this great nation. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next uh, week on the Whitfield Report. God bless, everyone, and good night. <laughs>
or you can click the link in the show notes and it will directly uh, take you to that page. If you can support the podcast, I really, really appreciate that. Anything that you can do to uh, help out is greatly appreciated. Even if you can't afford to uh, help financially support the podcast, I encourage you to please go on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and please leave this podcast a positive five-star review. That really helps us out here at the Whitfield Report. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode.